And welcome back to Dads on the Air, coming to you around Australia on the Community Radio Network. In this program, we bring you informing and entertaining conversations with a wide range of interesting people on topics of fatherhood, family and parenting, men's and boys' issues, and more. Hi, I'm Bill Cable, and our special guest today is Sam Mack, who is the author of a new book called Accidental Weatherman. Sam has been the weatherman in the Channel 7 Sunrise program since 2016. He started his career as a Black Thunder driver for Adelaide radio station SAFM and went on to host Breakfast Radio before venturing into television. When he took the role of weatherman, it was the role he was born for, even if he acknowledges that his weather knowledge is uh, is fairly basic. Uh, <laughs> Sam has used his role to bring awareness to causes such as mental health, animal rescue and championing the underdog who might need a shout out. It was his combination of heart and humour that has gained him hundreds of thousands of fans across the country. Those fans know that with Sam you can never predict what he's going to do next, uh, not even today. Sam, welcome to Dads on the Air. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Bill. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on. You know, when I was invited to be on Dads on the Air, I thought, wow, do they know something about me that I don't? Because uh, <laughs> as it stands, I am not a dad, although I guess on a technicality, I'm a cat dad. I've got, I've got two rescue cats, so, so maybe that's how I can just squeeze onto the show. Well, all will be revealed, don't worry. Um, <laughs> but I was going to ask you about the striking cover of your book, uh, Accidental Weatherman, where you, you're under a gold umbrella and looking, I thought, a bit like Goldfinger, you know, a bit threatening. But the book's not about violence or even the weather, really, is it? Well, I mean, we definitely talk about the weather in the book, but I, I like that you can see I'm holding my cat. So mm. my, my focus is obviously on my cat on the cover of the book. The umbrella is just kind of protruding from almost from my back above my head. So it's almost like I've forgotten <laughs> to hold the umbrella. I've forgotten about the weather, which is something that has actually happened on a number of occasions on live TV on Sunrise. Um, you know, I, I think that, Anyone who sees my segments will know that, of course, they're going to get the basic weather. Uh, they're going to know, is it going to rain? Or do they need a jacket? Or is it going to be a hot day? Uh, and that's what most people want. I, but what I think our segment should be offering is more of a slice of Australia. So characters around this country, you know, great places, holiday destinations, charities, you know, uh, entertainment from musicians. Uh, I pride myself on on highlighting the best of Australia in a positive way. And, and that's the kind of stuff you'll find in the book, like some of the amazing stories and people that I've met on those travels. I've visited over 800 towns or places around Australia. I, I normally do over 120 flights a year. So I've seen a lot of this country. Yeah, it makes me dizzy just hearing all those flights and things. But uh, so, uh, yeah, the days of uh, weathermen on Channel 7 have changed a lot since the days of uh, Alan Wilkie, I think. I think you describe it as 99% living out dreams and 1% meteorology. <laughs> That's probably a fair, a fair analysis. With your humorous uh, take on a lot of things, I'm just wondering, is it difficult for you, like when you come off the, the screen or off the stage, um, you're, I'm sure you're a naturally funny man, but do you sometimes feel obliged to be funny when you really don't feel like it? Not really. I think I think off-air, I definitely would, would describe myself as more relaxed. I think we, we're putting on a show, so of course you've got to try to make it fun and fun, you know, silly and funny if you can, and, 
entertaining and bring an energy. And that's a big part of the job, particularly with breakfast TV, is to bring that energy. So if I was like that all the time, I would be insufferable. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have no friends. My family would be too busy to see me. It would just be too much. So you have to have a balance. And my balance is, yeah, I love having just chilled out afternoons or time with my girlfriend or having a quiet beer with a mate. Yeah, I need that balance because... I really pride myself on injecting energy and positivity into our shows, and particularly after the year that we all experienced last year, I think more than ever we need to have that those light-hearted moments. Yes, you managed to keep the show going, even though you, you couldn't travel and you really, I suppose, couldn't even meet with a lot of people. But how did how did you keep it going? We got really good at Zoom really quickly. Mm. <laughs> we had an amazing tech team who we were actually some of the first in Australia to go live to air with Zoom. You know, Zoom only kind of, I guess, shot to prominence around the time that, that COVID was really settling in. So we worked it out pretty quickly. So then we just tried to do all the things we normally do just via Zoom. Obviously, we couldn't travel and we couldn't have crowds of people, but we could still cross, you know, via Zoom to Kakadu and have someone, you know, showing us their crocodile that's in their backyard and do an interview with them or cross to, you'll know the song, uh, Video Killed the Radio Star. Yes. We did a <laughs> parody of that for a segment called Video Call Our Favourite Star, where, where we would get you know celebrities on via Zoom and just check in and say, hey, what are you doing during lockdown? What are, you, are you learning how to bake banana bread? Fantastic. Show us what you've got. What's your recipe? We just tried to keep it fun and light and connect with what, what everyone was going through at that point and, and as much as possible, try not to talk about the depressing stuff. We, were never, we didn't want to give you the statistics and how many cases there are and all the things you can't do, that was covered in the news and everyone had been bombarded with that stuff. So we flipped it. We did the opposite. We, we wanted to make it entertaining. You talk a lot in the book about your producer, the human emoji. Uh, mm-hmm. do, do you and he sort of have that sort of autonomy? Do you actually put all these shows together and come up with all those ideas? Well, of course, you know, Sunrise has an executive producer as well, Michael Pell, and, and he's definitely very closely involved with what we do. Um, but... We are in a pretty lucky position because we've been working together as a team, as a duo for five years since I started, um, and they, they trust us now for the most part. So often, more often than not, we will just say, here's our plan, and this is what we want to do, this is when we do it, and, and nine times out of ten, they'll give us the green light because they trust us and we're delivering, and we've got a pretty good sense of what, how, what our role is within the show and how it fits within the show. And, and that's we're, we're in a great position, and I love that it's live every day. I love that if something goes wrong, you need to be able to deal with it in that moment. You mentioned a few minutes ago about the amount of travel you, you do around Australia, and, uh, and, and your book is full of stories of, the, of your interactions. But with all that interaction, do you, has anything stood out for you as com- with, when you compare, say, Australians with people from other countries? I think that um, Australians really do look out for each other and and that might sound cliche and of course that happens in other countries as well but i really feel that we excel in that area you know with with situations like the bushfires of last year we did a tour around some of the worst affected areas that were really hit hard you know towns almost decimated by the bushfires and the, the recurring theme that we found on that trip was that you know someone had looked out for the elderly next door neighbor or someone had a boat available where they could, you know, put a few people in overnight or like there were just all these stories of little things sometimes or someone made sure that their next door neighbor's dogs were okay and took them down to the local park to get them away from danger. They might seem like little things, but they're actually not. Like, you know, dogs are like your family. And of course, 
if you're a senior citizen living by yourself and no one's looking out for you, you're not going to be on Twitter seeing what the, all, the, all the updates are. So thankfully, you've got a younger next-door neighbour family who will come and check in on you. So, And similar situation with the flood um, only a few months back. So I think that's something to be really proud of, and I'm certainly uh, very lucky that I've got to meet these people and experience these stories firsthand. And then my job is to try to get as many of those on the air so that we can share them with our, with our viewers and try to find the positive, you know, the feel-good moments in those challenging, traumatic situations. You've built a, um, a reputation of, and you've found a way to be entertaining, but at the same time, you've taken up a lot of causes, and one of those, of course, is animals, and cats in particular. Did you find cats were uh, helpful to people that have been through these traumatic situations? Well, they are in terms of companionship. You know, like cats, obviously very, very different to dogs, but but people, particularly people who live alone and during the COVID lockdown or during bushfires or whatever it might be, just having that company, that companionship, you can't underestimate that. And I know so many people who write to me and say, oh, you know, I'd be, I don't know what I'd do without my, my cat or whatever it might be, my rabbit or, you know, I'm a big animal lover. So I think companionship, animals never going to judge you. So just having that presence to, to make your house feel more like a home if you don't have a big family, it is really valuable. What do you find is the most common question you're asked when these people write to you or get in touch with you somehow? Cool. The most common question I get asked is, can you come to my town? Yeah. Which is a big compliment. You know, people forget how big Australia is. Australia is enormous. You know, you could be driving for 12 hours and still be in the same state. If you're in Queensland, you'd be driving for 18 hours and still be in the same state. Australia is obviously so spread out um, and there's so many places that I've been, but so many places I haven't been. So I love it when people write to me, and, and the more creative and the more interesting their pitch is, the more likely we are to go there. And even in these remote places, I mean, do you find that everybody's got a story? I do, I do. Sometimes you have to dig harder. Some people dig harder than, than others, but I think we're in a good position now where a lot of people are familiar with what we do in the show and, and they feel, I don't know, safe to come and share their stories or share their quirky habits or their, you know, their crazy ideas with us. And we, we love that. The more, the more of an out there character you are, often the more interesting and entertaining it is for our audience. And we're always looking for the next person that's going to make the audience go, wow, who is this person? This person's hilarious. We're always on the lookout for those people. And that's part of why we, we keep traveling and traveling to all these different towns is let's find out who, who's out there. And this is not to doubt for one moment the uh, the accuracy of the stories in your book. I, I know your mate, Dr. Chris Brown, says um, the factual accru- accuracy of this book is exactly like one of Sam's weather forecasts. So <laughs> that's that's a pretty high compliment, I think. Yeah. Or, or he's telling me that my forecasts are often out by a couple of degrees. <laughs> I mean, there's two, there's two ways to take it. But yeah, I'll take it as a compliment. He is a great friend of mine. We formed a band together during uh, lockdown. Uh, the band's called Tone Deaf Leopard. And um, we, we're having a lot of fun. With Tone Deaf Leopard, the music comes forth. Uh, you know, a lot of bands put music first, music comes forth for us. We're more about uh, costumes, choreography, and professional lighting. Uh, we're more of a visual band, to be honest. But, um, yeah, we're excited about uh, hopefully doing a tour soon. Well, that leads us on to uh, the part of the show where we ask our guests to pick a song. And uh, I just wish we had video because um, I know the song you've picked and uh, people might be able to check it out on uh, YouTube. But, uh, yeah, can you tell us the song you picked and a little bit about it? Yeah, well, I'm a big music lover, Bill, and um, 
when I was asked to pick a song, it, it really challenged me because I could pick a hundred songs. But I decided, you know, given that I'm on to talk about my book, uh, I wanted to pick something that connects to the book. And there is a chapter in the book called Wiggles because I actually became a wiggle in 2019. And part of that process was I wrote a song, released a song and performed a song on stage in front of 5,000 kids live in Sydney uh, with the Wiggles. And the song is called Half Man, Half Cat. You might say that it's semi-autobiographical. You know, it's about a young boy growing up who loves cats and then turns into a cat. Uh, and the song provided a lot of joy uh, and a lot of confusion to, to, to children and to adults. But it was one of the most um, enjoyable creative experiences of my life because I got to become a wiggle. I lived out this fantasy of becoming a, a superstar children's entertainer and the song has had millions of views over a few different platforms now and you can see it on YouTube and there's a video clip and we did that with the Wiggles at their Hot Potato Studios. That's the actual name of their studios, Hot Potato Studios. And I thought it'd be great to share it with your audience. Growing up as a young boy, I was trying to find my place. I took a look in the mirror, I found whiskers on my face. People started talking, they said I'm not a normal male. And on my 13th birthday, I discovered that I had a tail. I was getting around the house on all fours, rubbing up against humans and couches and doors. I would sleep 20 hours under the doona. My parents were confused when we ran out of tuna. But that's when I discovered who I truly am. Half man, half cat. Ain't nobody got a problem with that. Half man, half cat. He's the cat man. He's the cat man. Half man, half cat. Ain't nobody got a problem with that. Half man, half cat. He's the cat man. He's the cat man. Raise your paws up in the air and wave them all around like you just don't care. Show the cat man how you lick your paws. Show the cat man how you lick your paws. Now purr. Half man, half cat. Ain't nobody got a problem with that. Half man, half cat. He's the cat man. He's the cat man. Half man, half cat. Ain't nobody got a problem with that. Half man, half cat. He's the cat man. He's the cat man. That was Half Man, Half Cat, as performed for us today by our special guest, Sam Mack, who is the author of a new book called Accidental Weatherman. Uh, look, that is an extraordinary achievement. I mean, as a guitarist and a composer, it, it's got to be a high point, hasn't it, performing with the Wiggles? Oh, I mean, I, I had so many pinch myself moments throughout that experience. And to be honest, the, and I talk about this in the book, because there is a chapter, as I mentioned, called Wiggles. The, the buzz and the excitement and the satisfaction that I got out of it surprised me, mainly because I, I didn't really envision or think about what it would feel like to see kids, you know, four-year-old kids dancing to something that I'd created and just having fun and, you know, doing the actions of pretending to be a cat. And, and, and lots of parents were sending me videos and saying, oh, 
you know, our daughter won't stop singing your song or, or whenever our kids get annoying, we put the song on the iPad for them and it shuts them up for a few minutes. And it was just a real buzz and it certainly made me excited to do more in that space of children's entertainment. So, yeah, it means a lot to me, that experience. Look, for anyone that hasn't seen it, honestly, this is another side of Sam Mack that you probably weren't expecting and it, it's a, it's a totally extraordinary uh, performance and it's a uh, yeah, very bouncy song as you've just heard. So, uh, yeah, I thoroughly recommend it. But uh, I do notice that, uh, I think it's on YouTube, but it's described as Sam Mack with the Wiggles. So you're actually getting the um, the headline, which is... <laughs> <laughs> well, the Wiggles uploaded it, so maybe they wanted to distance themselves from the project a little bit and put my name up first. <laughs> Well, it's it's all there for anyone that wants to chase it up, and I'd recommend it. Sam, in your book, you you do cover you cover some wonderful, heartbreaking stories, and you you cover there obviously there are funny stories. There's a, there's a, a real mixture, but um, chapter nine is headed Richard, and that's about your friend Richard Marsland. I'm just wondering uh, if you could tell us, you know, what effect he had on you. Well, Richard Marsland sadly lost his battle with mental health and, and that's what motivated me to become, um, I guess, an ambassador or a spokesperson for Are You OK Day and, and I've done a lot of work in that space over many years. Uh, he was a very talented writer and performer. He was on radio, he was on TV, he wrote jokes for the likes of Sean McAuliffe, who was a hero of mine. Uh, he wrote jokes for Rogue McManus. He achieved a lot in, in his time here, but uh, I got to work with him in Adelaide and, and I remember as I was very young just starting out in radio and just watching him at work and, and I didn't even know that what he did was a job but I, I would see him writing jokes and coming up with these song parodies and doing performances and I just thought what a talented guy but he was also very polite and so generous with his time and so loved. Every, everybody just had great things to say about Richard. He had such a, a generous spirit that, that everyone who he met felt that spirit so he was such a love person uh, and, and valued performer and, and part of the team and when we lost him it, it really hit me for six. It was my first I guess personal experience with uh, losing a friend to their mental health battles and it really affected me and, and I didn't at, at this time, this was more than 10 years ago now there wasn't as much awareness and the conversations around mental health, particularly for men, weren't as prominent so it took me I, I think a couple of years until I felt comfortable enough to attempt to talk about it on radio and I did that, and, I, and it, was, it was difficult. You know, I really struggled through it. But then I got some responses from a few people in, in the weeks following that that really, I guess, woke something up in me to, to, I guess, let me know that I can do something that's valuable in this space and I can help to encourage more men in particular, but also, but also women, to speak up and have these conversations and help guide them in the right direction. So the chapter is very personal. You know, it, it details a recent catch-up with Richard's parents who I've kept in contact with over the years. It, it talks about what I've learned from that experience, what I've learned in my work as an Are You OK Day and a mental health ambassador. Um, I interview another lady, a friend of mine, who um, had a failed suicide attempt. So it's very heavy, and I talk about a lot of the viewers who've written to me and, and shared their own um, experiences in that space. So it's very heavy, but I really feel that, not just for people who are going through that kind of thing, but for people around those those people who might be experiencing difficulties. It's, it's a really good opportunity to, to maybe learn a little bit about a little bit more about mental health and how to have those conversations. So, look, it was the most difficult chapter to write, but it's, it's the most important chapter, I feel. Richard was only fairly young, wasn't he, when, when he died? Yeah, he was. 
And when you lose a friend in this way, um, you know, there are often some questions that, that you, you just never get the answers to. Have you found that? Yeah, and I talk about that in the chapter. I, I, I think instinctively you kind of ask yourself, could I have done something differently? Why didn't I do this? Um, why didn't I say that? And you can kind of make it all about you, but it's not all about you. But I think in time you start to realise that you don't know what it would feel like to be in that position. And, of course, you can't place any judgment on, on, on that kind of thing, but all you can do is be more alert and be more open to have those conversations to look out for your friends and your family. And, you know, the more people that are open and in tune with this kind of stuff and willing to have these kind of conversations, the more, the more safety we have for people who are vulnerable. And how did you get on with your own life after going through that trauma? Well, I mean, keeping busy is a part of it for me. I keep my mind active. I try to make things and uh, I probably didn't talk about it enough initially, which is why it took a long time and then it was really difficult when I did. I guess I had a, a lot of things bottled up. But like I said, it was around the time when we weren't as aware and as uh, informed on how to have these conversations and it wasn't it wasn't the done thing. So that's why I love that I can use my platform now, whether it's on Sunrise or on my social media or on radio or podcast like this to, to I guess, get the word out and to encourage people to have those conversations, but also to encourage people to look out for signs amongst their friends if someone seems a little bit off or if they're, they're just not themselves, just to, just to check in in a gentle way and, and make sure people know that they're valued and that, that there's people there that care for them, that they're willing to help them. And then, of course, the other thing that I say is that, which is true, I'm not a professional, I'm not a psychiatrist, and, and I can't be an online counsellor. Uh, and I don't purport to be, but I can help to guide people in the right direction of professional help. And there's so much great professional help these days, and you shouldn't be ashamed in seeking that. Now, in your book, uh, your parents and your sister figure largely in your life. You talk about one particularly nice thing that you did for them. I wonder if you could tell us about that. Of course. Well, my parents are both Irish. So my mum, Loretta, and my dad, Sam Sr., are both from Northern Ireland, Belfast. And when they moved to Australia, it was around the time of what was called the Troubles, which was, you know, religious warfare, in a sense, happening in Northern Ireland. Uh, it was a very dangerous time to be there. My parents actually met in Australia, um, but they a lot, of, a lot of Irish people left Ireland around that time just because it was so dangerous. There were stabbings, there were car bombs. It was a really scary, dangerous place to be. And my parents, uh, a few years after that, met in Adelaide and, and they set up life and they had my sister and they had me and we lived a happy life in Adelaide and they never went back. And I'd spoken to them a number of times, you know, do you think you go back? And, and they would always say one day, one day, one day, but I, it just wasn't happening. And they don't have a lot of money. They live a, you know, a nice, comfortable life in a nice house in Adelaide, but they, they don't go on a lot of holidays. And I just knew that to make that holiday happen, I would have to book it for them. And, and I did exactly that. And I surprised them for Christmas for 2016. I surprised them. I, I gave them an Andre Ryu DVD just to see their reaction. And they opened that and mum pretended to like Andre Ryu. She said, oh, that's lovely. But I could tell by how high her voice was going that she was just saying that to, to keep me happy. Then I said, oh, why don't you open it, mum? Just check what's inside. She opened it and then there was a note there. It said, mum and dad, you're going to Ireland in 2017. And they couldn't believe it. So then it was, of course, planning the trip. And then the next part to the surprise was that my sister Paula and I surprised them over in London the day that they were about to fly from London to uh, Dublin. 
So we got to take that flight with them the first time they'd been back to their homeland in something like 40 years. Uh, it was such a surreal, special family experience. And then to see Ireland through their eyes and to hear stories about, oh, we used to go here and that's where my school was and, you know, I had my first beer at this pub, all of those experiences, it was, it was the best thing that I've done in my life, I think, because you can't put a dollar value on that. And to be honest, I never looked at the price because I probably would have had a heart attack. But, you know, it, was, it was worth it because uh, I do feel a little bit of guilt that I don't see or spend as much time with my family because I'm traveling Australia and I live in Sydney and they live in Adelaide. But to do that for the family and to have those special memories, one of the best things that I've, I've ever done. And I talk about that in the book and encourage people. And It's not a holiday for everyone. It could be something much smaller. It just encourage people to do those things now because you don't know what's around the corner and mm-hmm. particularly after what we all went through last year things can be taken away from you and while you've got the opportunity to do special things for the people that you love get out there and do it make it happen today your mother uh, sounds like a real character but going back to your career and you were nominated for the gold logie in 2019 you had to keep it a qu- keep it quiet no one was allowed to know i guess until the official announcement but when you did get told you to tell your mother she was a little bit underwhelmed i think yeah, well, I called her, you know, thinking we were going to have this great video of her being, you know, proud and excited of her, about her son and this nomination. But she, when she knew that I was calling to give her some news, the first thing she said was, you're going to be a dad? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not, Mum. I, I, I don't even have a girlfriend at the time. And then she said, oh, you're going to get married? I said, no, Mum, again, I, I don't have a girlfriend at the time, so that's definitely not happening. And I said, I've been nominated for the Gold Logie, the highest award in TV. And she said, ah, oh, that's good. Oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the, it, it was a special night for her, and I love the story that she uh, she actually wore an opal ring from your grandmother to the Logies, so uh, she was there with you as well. Yeah, that was that was a really special thing that I didn't even know on the, on the night until later. You know, my nana had passed away a few years ago. That's my mum's mum. You know, it was a very special night for mum and for me as well, but for, for mum to kind of get a taste of my world and my life and to get dressed up and to go to this big awards night and to see all these celebrities and, and the fact that she had that ring on, which, you know, which her mum had given to her was, was really special. And, yeah, there's, there's lots of moments like that in the book where, you know, those little details, um, those little memories amongst your family, I think as, as I'm getting older, I'm realising how, how much they mean to me and, and how much you have to treasure those moments and, and try to find time and, and do what it takes to get those moments. Your coverage of the Commonwealth Games was a real highlight for me, so that'll be something <laughs> something to look forward to in the years to come. But unfortunately, today we've uh, we've it's just gone in a flash, but we've we've run out of time. Um, I I'd like to commend to everybody Sam Mack's new book called Accidental Weatherman, and uh, and to give a, a, a special thank you to you, Sam. Thank you very much for being a guest on Dads on the Air. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I appreciate you um, taking an interest and, and sharing sharing me and my stories with your listeners and uh, and most importantly for giving some airplay to Half Man, Half Cat. <laughs> that's, that's right. And uh, don't forget, uh, we'd love to hear from any of our listeners. We will have the uh, uh, links to that song on our website if you missed it in this program. And uh, don't forget to go to that website, dadsontheair.com.au, and you can send us an email. We'll be in touch. If you'd like to listen to this show or any of our shows, go to our uh, go to your favourite podcast app or to our website, dadsontheair.com.au, and you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. And we'll be back next week with another show on Dads on the Air. <laughs> 